0: You're listening to episode 19 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and this is part two of the Goldschmidt story. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. It is that time of the spring when we start to actually look at spring training stats and kind of try to piece together. Whoa, 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 any...
1: whoa, whoa wait, We do?
0: What? I... <laughs> well, some people do. Some people do. And okay, I'm glad you brought that up because the first thing I wanted to say is, is there anything from this spring so far at this point, what, like two weeks, two and a half weeks into games that you actually care about?
1: <laughs> uh, you know how I said last week I hadn't watched a game yet? Uh-huh. That's still true. Okay. Um, and
0: That's
1: fair. <laughs> part of it is just for practicality reasons. The games, you know, often are on during the day. Right. And But a part of it is that the season, the real season is so long anyway, that I don't want to get burned out. I don't know. Like the season's long enough anyway, and and has enough for what I need. That I don't need to like, uh, I don't know, cleanse my palate early on spring training, and just I, I just don't get anything out of it. I don't know. I've tried. It's just even when I'm able to watch a game on TV, I always find something else to watch.
0: <laughs> I think that's fair, though. I I don't know. I don't quite know how to feel about spring training games. I think part of it is I love baseball and I love when there's baseball happening. I watched a twins spring training game today just because it was on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that part of it for me that's like, hey, there's there's baseball happening and and I love that. But there's also part of it for me. And I kind of took a little bit of heat for this um, right at the beginning of the spring, because to me, it feels like Okay. So you're watching practice. Like, what do you take from, you know, if I go to a a college basketball practice and watch them practice, it's not necessarily going to tell me what I'm going to see in a game. And to to me, there's a little bit of that sort of behind the curtain. It's fine, but it's very misleading. So I don't want to get super wrapped up in it. And, you know, I, I realize that for some people it's, it's fun to, to get into it again and to kind of give some sort of meaning to these spring training games, I just don't find it that revealing when we know that in any given at-bat or in any given pitch sequence, these guys are working on specific things, not necessarily applying the approach that they will in a a regular season game situation. So it's just, to me, it's all very misleading and it's hard to really be invested in the results when that's not what they are there for
1: <laughs> yeah and let me be clear i'm not saying like there's no value sure um, to be gained by, by by the spring training games at all it's it's just uh yeah it's just very hard for me to get to get into it and you know i think i said uh cleanse my palate earlier i think i might say wet my uh appetite
0: yeah so, that's,
1: that's neither here nor there I guess, <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, We're all still in spring training form, right? Just, just getting our feet under us. Um, (laughs) Whatever other cliches we can throw out (laughs) there. But since we're not going to spend a whole lot of time dissecting what we can take from someone's batting average or uh, an ERA for a pitcher at this point in the spring, we're going to jump back to something that we've already talked about, but it came up again for me this week. And I was really curious to get your take on this, Alex. I, I, let me preface it by saying this. Up until now, the Paul Goldschmidt trade has kind of been under this cloud of, but Bryce Harper's still out there. And there's been this perhaps unfair comparison, but sort of naturally that's going to come about when these two guys are in the same conversation as far as their skill set and their ability to be game changers for a team. So now that Harper is off the table, Can we please go back and talk about Paul Goldschmidt and maybe talk about him at least to start with a a little bit in a vacuum, right? I realize that his value to the team is a significant part of how we talk about Paul Goldschmidt with the St. Louis Cardinals and sort of assessing that trade. But like, here's where I'm at. Let's just start here. I feel like Paul Goldschmidt has always been a bit underappreciated. And I feel like that has not changed (laughs) since he came to St. Louis and became the superstar that we've all been looking for for a long time, I guess just not the right superstar. Am I crazy for feeling like there's a a bit of a discrepancy here in in how we're talking about a guy that's been one of the best in the game since, you know, he became a major leaguer?
1: No. um, You said you feel he's been underappreciated. I totally agree. I think most people would totally agree with that. And I think your second point was that you feel he still is underappreciated, meaning kind of now that he's a Cardinal, we as a collective fan base are underappreciating him. And I I think I 90% agree with that. Um, and the 10% where I, not necessarily that I disagree, but where I sort of, I guess, understand the tepid, um, I don't know, lukewarm, whatever you want to say, response from some people is the fact that we only have them for a year. Um, I don't, I don't count on anything when it comes to free agents, um, you know, in the Cardinals. Um, not because I think they're incapable of signing free agents, a free agent, even a free agent as good as Paul Goldschmidt. I just don't think it's a wise thing to do. And You know, what you said about him being underappreciated because, you know, he's been one of the best players in baseball, but he's been one of the best players in baseball with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Mm -hmm. Um, not with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, And and he's 32 years old, um, which is by no means over the hill. And if you look at the, you know, most of the projections have have him being Paul Goldschmidt this year, which is a very good thing, (laughs) you know, so. I understand why some people, you you know, look, if I I think if we were to, if there was an announcement, you're going to know why I'm laughing. I don't want to bring it up. But if there was an announcement tomorrow that we uh, uh, extended him or or whatever you want to call it for like five years or whatever, I I think the response by some people would be a lot different. And they'd be a lot more excited, um, even though we're still talking about ages, what? 32 through 36 or whatever, those should still be pretty good years from Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I think it's mostly just the fact that, one, Harper's cloud was so large, or his shadow was so large, as you said, and the fact that we still only have one year of the guy.
0: So I want to talk about that point for a second, because I, I think there's so much information available (laughs) about these players and about their projections and about their past and about their value. And we've had this ongoing conversation over the course of the off season about how you determine someone's value that I feel like I kind of want to take a step back from that because the contract being what it is, the, the, the state of only having him for a guaranteed one year being what it is like separate that for a minute <laughs> because I feel like that it has been the the struggle for a lot of people reasonably so and you know if we want to talk about Paul Goldschmidt in the larger context of what the Cardinals are going to do moving forward that's certainly a valid point and we can talk more about that as we go on but but that doesn't change how good Paul Goldschmidt is and that's where I think We're getting a little bit lost in the business side of baseball when we talk about Goldschmidt as opposed to recognizing that, I mean, if you look at his career numbers, he's been better than Harper for the most part. He's been more consistent than Machado and Arenado and, uh, you know, pick a guy. And, And the thing that he's done so well is not the super high highs of Bryce Harper, but it's the consistent greatness across the board. And that, I think, I just want to. I just want to take a minute to acknowledge that, separate yeah. from sort of the businessy. What are we going to do when the Cardinals have to sign him again next year, or find someone else?
1: No, you are one. I think you're one hundred percent correct. I, I think there's a very strong case being made that he is the best player in the National League. Um, certainly, there's. I'm, I'm trying to think how to phrase this correctly. Certainly, there's not a case that there's no way he's the best player in the National League, if that makes sense. I mean, his pedigree is right there with a couple of other guys. Uh, He's been that good. But I I guess my response would be, and this might be a bit ridiculous, but let's, let's rewind to 2011 and find an Angels fan and say, congratulations, you guys just got the best player in baseball with Albert Pujols. Yeah. Um and uh how do I know he's been the best player in baseball? Look at his stats from 2001 up to this point. He's been the best player in baseball. Um so Paul Goldschmidt has been quite possibly the best player in the National League for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um he's still going to be, you know, Assuming we're not going to have any injury or, you know, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> you know, I'm, again, I'm not looking ahead. So, you know, we may we may sign him or whatever, but gosh, that would be awful if he got hurt. But yeah, we only have one year of the guy, but I'm expecting him to be really, really good. And I, and I think a lot of people are. I mean, you know, most people that I've seen have them have penciled into the playoffs, be that by winning the division or being one of the wild card. And, you know, it's hard to look at the lineup and figure out why that is other than the addition of Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, that that's a huge addition, even at a spot where I, and I think I brought this up one time or the last time we talked about Goldschmidt, I kind of reiterated uh Joe Sheehan's point that they added him at a spot where they didn't necessarily need to upgrade or, mm-hmm. you know, every team, you know, you can always upgrade, but like, you know, they already had Matt Carpenter at first, um, Jed Jerko at third, uh, you know, there's other spots in the lineup where they probably could have benefited. I guess more from an upgrade. And I guess that's again why people were clamoring so hard for Harper. That that, along with you know many other reasons. But again, your point—he's really, really good. Um, and we're lucky to have someone like Carpenter who can just switch right over to third base, and and we can, yeah, put one of the best hitters, if not the best hitter, into this lineup.
0: Yeah, I think I think two things. Um, the fact that the upgrade was um Goldschmidt over Jose Martinez, as opposed to Harper over Dexter Fowler, makes this uh conversation a bit tricky as far as evaluating how significant of an addition Paul Goldschmidt is. Um, but the second thing, I wanna kinda go back to what you said about him being the potentially the best player in the National League. I mean, that's some pretty tough competition and not only that. So, okay, um I'll share these I'll share these images um after <laughs> this podcast goes live, but I sent these to Alex earlier. I put together a couple of little graphs just to show the comparison between Paul Goldschmidt, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Nolan Arenado, and I added in Matt Carpenter because he's been the best player for the Cardinals in the last handful of years and Christian Yelich because <laughs> NLMVP uh last season. So I looked at their career numbers to start with. Paul Goldschmidt leads all of them in career OPS, career wRC+, career weighted on-base average. And for anyone who wants to go old school and talk about average, um, well he's tied for career average with Christian Yelich at 297. So we're talking about some of the best players in the game. And he's been as good or better than all of them over the course of his career. I just don't want that to get overshadowed by we only have him for one year. <laughs>
1: I can't help but notice that Matt Carpenter has the lowest uh, batting average. Uh, yeah, uh, on yeah the- that's yeah, also n- true. <laughs> no wonder n- 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 people don't like him. <laughs>
0: what a in- what a slacker. In- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think all of that to say, um, I know it's... That weird balance in in sport in general, maybe baseball specifically, when you're trying to figure out how to project someone and determine their future value based on what they've done in the past, it's always a little bit risky. It's always a little bit challenging, especially when you get someone who's past that 31-32 season where you never quite know how someone's going to age. But on that note, I looked at last year. <laughs> And last season in the National League, Paul Goldschmidt is ranked in the top three in almost every offensive category. I mean, he's third behind Christian Yelich and Brandon Nimmo, where'd that come from, (laughs) in WRC Plus in the National League. Matt Carpenter's fifth. Bryce Harper was eighth. Nolan Arenado was 10th. Joey Votto was 11th in WRC Plus last year. So even in the context of last season, he's still one of the best in the National League at all of the different things he does so well consistently. To me, if you're talking about projecting someone going forward, if you can look at what they've always done and what they've done most recently, it feels pretty telling that that there's nothing that's a sure thing, but it's uh it's a pretty good bet.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's also nice that he is a first baseman. Um, you know, he's yeah. not a center field. He's not a I guess playing a position that's as taxing on the I guess the body, I don't know, as as some other positions. You know, I guess the the only thing better than this would be the D you know, being able to like kind of put him out the pasture in the DH, but we can't do yeah. that. But Well <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Maybe we will someday be able to do that. We will we will see. Um, but I guess yeah, the fact that he plays first base and plays it pretty well is one of the reasons why I'm not that worried about what he's gonna look like at age thirty-five. But, yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I don't know. The, the, if we're going to go back to Harper and talk about why, you know, Harper seemed to be so much more of a fan favorite than um, than Goldschmidt, you know, there really are a lot of things going on there, I think. Part of which is the fact that I I think last time we talked about Goldschmidt, I mentioned how I didn't even know what Goldschmidt looks like. Looks yeah. like. Uh, I do now. I now know what he looks like. Um, but no one would ever say that about Bryce Harper. He's just... That much more of a famous and I guess exciting guy to have on your team than Goldschmidt is, but also the fact that he he's 26 years old. You're getting ages, um, you know, 26 through well, the Phillies are getting now ages 26 through basically infinity. Um, but Paul Goldschmidt's, you know, when he was at that age, th- those are the ages the Diamondbacks just got. You know, so it's hard to imagine a scenario where he's going to replicate what he just did from ages you know 27 through 31 um over the next five years. I still expect him to be very, very good, but not that good.
0: And that's absolutely fair. Um, I think the concern when you look at Goldschmidt is, as you mentioned, moving forward. One, whether or not the Cardinals can retain him, and two, what the cost is going to be for the production in those a sort of later peak years on that downside of, of anyone's career at this point, I, I was listening to um Derek Gould and Chris Raby talk about uh, Paul Goldschmidt on the best podcast of baseball the other day. And Derek Gould made a point a couple of times that I, f- I, I realized how much I relate to how much I appreciate and how much I've had similar thoughts. And that is that, you know, the the age thing seems to be such a huge focus and I don't know that that's, that's wrong or it shouldn't be, or it's too much uh, of an emphasis at this point because of how much we know now about the way players age and the way they deteriorate and, and how the trends sort of set the stage for what those years are going to be like. But um, again, I, I guess for me, I just feel like a lot of this conversation has centered on, yeah, he's good, but when I I... I still think there's a lot to be really excited about. <laughs>
1: oh, no, no question. No question. I'm, I'm, he is probably going to be our best player since Prime Pujols, right? Yeah. I, I mean, he's the
0: first, he's the first. Guy that is a legitimate MVP candidate, yeah. not because he has to put together a monster season to do it, but because he's just that good. Since Albert Pujols,
1: yeah, I don't mean he's going to have like the best season since Prime Pujols. I mean, right. certainly Matt Carpenter had that kind of crazy 2013 season when he hit like what did he hit like 55 doubles? Yeah, uh, that seems so long ago and so many, so many <laughs> Matt Carpenters ago. <laughs> you know, we've seen so many different variations of him.
0: I'd be okay with that that version uh, I, of
1: the That's what's that's one of the things that's exciting about Carpenter. It's like, well, let's see who we have this year. Like, oh, a little bit of power. Um, you know, on base went down a little bit, but he's you know, it's always just like different ingredients. It's always fun to watch and them evolve devolve not to,
0: not to cut you off or, or change the subject, mm-hmm. but just throw this in there. I think Paul Goldschmidt allows Matt Carpenter to figure that out a little bit more. Matt Carpenter's kind of been this chameleon that became whatever the team needed him to be. Well, now he doesn't have to be the power hitter that they haven't had since Matt Holliday left, right? He can be maybe peak Matt Carpenter at this point if he doesn't have to fill in this other role that They've been struggling to fill now that they have Paul Goldschmidt. So, as far as how he fits with this team, I think he might make Matt Carpenter even better. And Carpenter's pretty good as it is.
1: Oh, I mean, if Carpenter can somehow morph back into what he was <laughs> in 2013, especially batting in front of Paul Goldschmidt, then that would be absolutely brilliant. Um, if if that's what is if that's what we is that what we would consider peak. Matt Carpenter, what is your favorite? I know this wasn't what we planned on talking about, but what is your favorite version of Matt Carpenter? Because last year was pretty damn exciting. when He was in that sort of four-month stretch where he was just hitting home runs and doubles. And I remember there was a time where he was kind of like a pretty solid threat to hit 40 home runs and 40 doubles, which, as you can imagine, doesn't happen very often. Uh, Pujols was kind of the master at that. But, yeah, no one one does it very
0: often. So, okay, I I think if he could be that guy over the course of an entire season, obviously that would be uh, the Matt Carpenter I would choose. But if I'm choosing kind of seasons as a whole, that 50 plus doubles version of Matt Carpenter was super exciting to me because he was consistent and because you could almost you know, you could just write it in the book. If he came up with guys on base, I mean, he's going to do something and he's going to likely turn it into extra bases. So I think that would be my favorite variation of Matt Carpenter. If we're looking at, you know, over the course of a season as a whole.
1: Mm-hmm. How about I,
0: you?
1: I, yeah. I, I think that was kind of my favorite too. I'm looking up right now. Cause I feel like he only hit seven home run. Okay. He had 11 home runs that season, okay. uh, which, uh, yeah, 318-392-481. Yeah, that was such a fun crazy crazy season he had. Uh Hmm.
0: August was uh, real fun though.
1: Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's it's a toss-up for me between um 2013 and and 2018 Matt Carpenter. You know, certainly 2013 Matt Carpenter hitting a double in front of Paul Goldschmidt and then Paul Goldschmidt hitting a home run is cool, but so is Matt Carpenter hitting a home run and then Paul Goldschmidt hitting a home run. So I guess, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty satisfied, pretty satisfied there either way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the, the exciting thing for me is that, that Paul Goldschmidt kind of opens up that opportunity, like well, I said, for, for Matt Carpenter to not have to be something that he isn't, that he's been trying to be for the last handful of years.
1: Let, so let me ask you this, cause I think we're just kind of making an assumption here. Do you, do you think Goldschmidt would be batting second?
0: Uh, I'm glad you brought and, and that, that you up because I was and going to. <laughs> um, so I I say this often, and I think people are probably tired of hearing it. I would love to see Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt hit back-to-back, but second and third instead of first and second. Um, I would love to see the Cardinals have a, a different uh, kind of speedy, more typical OBP guy at the top of the lineup. But since we all know that's not going to happen, I don't love Goldschmidt batting second. Um I know all of the kind of modern formulas suggest that that's where your best hitter should be. Um I I think th- I think the Cardinals lineup um has some gaps if you put those two guys at the top and then who do you hit third and then Ozuna kind of on an island. <laughs> hitting fourth um so I like Goldschmidt third I think but then again I'm left with the question of who bats second and uh a good Dexter Fowler could play that role very well for me Mm -hmm. um but I think we've talked about that before it's a little bit of a crapshoot as far as (laughs) what you do if you don't have a good Dexter Fowler
1: so I would probably like I think I like Goldschmidt batting second but I I really don't care um too much you know it's not something i would be complaining about you know like unless he's like batting eighth or right. something then, then I, I would actually be so intrigued by that i don't think i would even complain <laughs> sure. uh, i would think like Schultz was playing some sort of uh galaxy brain chess but no no one else kind of like when he batted melania second last <laughs> yeah. year for yeah. uh a lot longer than maybe he should have i mean uh, it
0: worked for a while
1: <laughs> it yeah it, it sort of did um <laughs> So when you said you want like a speedy guy, is that someone that we already have on our roster or someone who we do not? No, that's the thing.
0: I I mean, in an ideal situation for me, I like Carpenter second, Goldschmidt third, but Mm. the guy that would hit in the leadoff spot does not currently exist (laughs) on the Cardinals roster. I think there are guys that could become that guy. I think um, the like 2015, 2016 Dexter Fowler could be that guy. I think that there's a lot of people who have high hopes for someone like Colton Wong or even Harrison Bader. I'm not convinced they're going to get on base consistently enough to play that role. As much as I love Colton Wong, I'm not really sure that's the best fit. So sort of this dream scenario for me is pretty pointless right now because I don't think that guy exists on this roster.
1: I think I would like... Carpenter leading off, Goldschmidt, and then maybe Paul DeYoung in that third spot, and then and then Ozuna. You know, I don't really care about the right left right left stuff um, as much as some other people do, uh, but I also like the idea. And you know, we've talked about this. A lot of other people talked about this uh, of a Bader batting ninth.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yep. And I don't know. Again, I, I don't know how much this stuff matters. Uh, I certainly can't imagine our playoffs. Are going to hinge on whether or not B- Bader is batting eighth or not.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> I certainly hope uh, not. If, yeah, that's, if so, it comes down to that, a lot of other things have gone wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, we all know Carpenter does a really good job at getting on base. Uh, Goldschmidt is pretty much better at that at that th- at that thing than Carpenter is, and then so um, you know, I- I'm fine. Then having home run threats like De Young and Ozuna following him, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the moral of the story is that, uh, one Paul Goldschmidt's really good. Let's not forget that. Uh, two, he's going to make this lineup better wherever he ends up hitting in it. In fact, I was reading today that, that Reggie Jackson, uh, is a huge Paul Goldschmidt fan. Evidently
1: no says kidding. that
0: Goldschmidt was the best acquisition by any team over the off season. Um, and, and just went on and on Reggie and on Jackson. in okay. the Cardinals clubhouse about how much of a gamer this guy is and, and how he's going to change the game not only because of his skill set but because of what he brings to the clubhouse, all of those things. He said that he should hit fourth. So okay. you know
1: yeah. that's well, where Reggie
0: Jackson stands.
1: <laughs> um how about this? Carpenter leading off. Okay. Goldschmidt batting second Azuna cleanup. And Tommy Pham batting third.
0: Oh, there it is. Wouldn't, wouldn't that have been fun? <laughs> there it is. Um, Yeah, Tommy Pham uh, could have been an interesting part of this conversation, for sure. Um, How are you feeling
1: about that trade these days?
0: I feel like Tommy Pham could have been an interesting part of this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> um No, you know... Look, I think it's really hard to, from the outside, look at a clubhouse that was clearly in disarray, and I know it's it's pretty easy and and probably not entirely wrong to place a lot of that blame on the manager for letting it get to that point. Um, but look tommy fam is is not uh, is not a guy that 's going to let anyone tell him how to think or or how to act or what to say or or how to do things and I imagine that that gets complicated uh, <laughs> in a clubhouse full of guys. Who have a lot of veteran experience, um, and and I don't know, maybe it was maybe it was not going to be a good fit because of that, as opposed to just looking at his skill set. So, if you're asking me how I feel about the Tommy Pham trade, I think it's unfortunate that he couldn't find um, a place long term with the Cardinals, but I'm certainly not in a position to say that that is, uh, you know, entirely avoidable. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I have a theory. um, Well, I don't know how much, I don't know if it's fair to call this a theory, but, you know, I love Tommy Pham. He's one of my favorite Cardinals ever. Um, I think that Tommy, it wasn't so much that he had issues with Matheny. I think he had issues with the suits. I don't think like DeWitt and whoever else sits, you know, sits up there um, with those guys. I think. You know, some of those quotes in the Sports Illustrated article, that stuff, because they traded him after they, you know, had canned Matheny and Schilt was in there. And, you know, Schilt has known, had known Pham for ages, right? You know, and they both have the same eye <laughs> disorder, you know, disorder. So yeah. they kind of had bonded over that. I know I was never under the impression that Schilt had a problem with Pham, um, but maybe – I only say that because Schilt seems like the nicest guy ever who seems to always have players backs and connect with everyone pretty well, which we've found out that Matheny was not very good at that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was always under the impression that it was more of a DeWitt like ownership problem, like, you know, get this malcontent off my team than it was Matheny, but I could be wrong. I don't, you know, give it a peek behind the curtain. We intended on talking about Paul Goldschmidt and I, for whatever reason, uh, Turned into Tommy Fam uh, skid, so uh, we weren't Something prepared we to have. talk about. Yeah, so listen, just, uh, we
0: don't get to talk about Harper anymore, so we have to have some <laughs> other thing to go yeah, to
1: <laughs> <yeah>.
0: <laughs> to get us really far off track. No, but I do think it's you know that kind of stuff all comes into play when we're talking about what this Cardinals team can look like moving forward. Um, I think that's why you know there's a lot of angst about Paul Goldschmidt and. The possibility of him only being around for a year because they don't have Tommy Fam and they don't have you know start filling in the blanks um, and there are a lot of those things. So a, a bit of a rabbit trail, but uh, an interesting one to discuss nonetheless. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, w- I will say uh, I want to say this about Paul Goldschmidt. If if I was a, you know a person who was into gambling or whatever, I would place money on him winning MVP. Yeah. Because I just feel like it's going to be one of those things where if the Cardinals make the playoffs, it's going to be the first time, you know, we 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 hear ad nauseum like, oh, they haven't made the playoffs in three years. Um, if they make the playoffs in 2019 and Goldschmidt has a, a very Paul Goldschmidt season, like even if like, say, someone like Chris Bryant or one of the other usual suspects um, is ahead of him and like, you know, some of it like war or whatever, you know, the most important stat people believe when, you know, formulating this award, I think I could just see like voters being like, look, Cardinals weren't making the playoffs. They got this guy. Yeah. He, he's from what I heard really, really good. And now they're in the playoffs. That's my MVP. So I think, <laughs> I think we could be looking at a, a very good chance to see a Cardinal in the MVP.
0: this year. Yeah. I think that it's, a very realistic possibility and that in and of itself is, is pretty exciting.
1: I was also thinking that now that Goldschmidt is a Cardinal um, and I've seen him a lot and I totally know what he looks like. I was trying to figure out who the best player in baseball is now, who I don't know what that person looks (laughs) like. Um, And so I was trying to figure out who that is. And it's definitely a position player because pitchers, you know what they look like because when they're on the mound, there's so many close ups of their faces. And often when they get pulled from the game, you get a good close up of them mm. sitting in the dugout, yeah. either, you know, steamed or just from, you know, there's the guy sitting there after throwing six innings, you know, or whatever. Um, so I, I usually know what pitchers look like, especially the good players. Um, so I was kind of looking at just leaderboards of like, all right, who's who's really good right now? And I don't know, and I wouldn't be able to pick them out of a lineup. And I think it's Alex Bregman. I don't know what hmm. Bregman looks like.
0: Interesting. I I'm do, gonna, but gonna, I, look, I'm do I like also... I'm going
1: to do a right now, see if I should. I,
0: so I covered him in A-ball when he played for the Quad City River Bandits for a very short you, period of time. So I, I, so, I know, know what, what he looks like. That. Um, but okay. that is sort of in, I mean, I guess the yeah. Astros... As an AL team, aren't super relevant to. Yeah, uh, and
1: that, that's another thing. It needs to be a team that's kind of on the West Coast. I know Houston's not exactly West Coast, but they certainly they play in the AL West, so you know they're often playing late. Um, that was the case with Goldschmidt as well. So
0: yeah, it, it also
1: helps to have a guy on the West Coast. So, but I think Bregman. I'm looking at him right now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have known. That's what he looks <laughs> like. Bregman, so Bregman uh, right now is that player?
0: Okay. All right. He's uh he's pretty good at the baseball. So um. Now now you'll know when you see him on some highlights he is somewhere. He good,
1: but there's a lot of good players in front of him who <laughs> oh, I do yeah. know what they look like. Oh, yeah. So.
0: yeah, that's also part of the equation, I think. And that's, I mean, for Goldschmidt, playing on the West Coast and and in that division, there are a lot of superstars and a lot of stars that play for teams that have been more relevant than the D-backs have been. So um, I think that all plays into this whole conversation about how he seems to be underrated. Um, He's never been in that conversation for these big monster contracts because he signed a a very team friendly contract very early on in his career. So we haven't had that whole narrative played out in the public eye. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons for the fact that he is just kind of a guy that's really good. And then you look at his actual numbers and you realize, oh, no, like he's actually really good, not just pretty decent um and hopefully you know for for his sake that continues in a a much more um public setting that is st louis cardinals baseball
1: (laughs) well well let me ask you real quick you mentioned that he signed that very uh club friendly contract with the diamondbacks uh several seasons ago is that going to hurt the cardinals chances to sign him if he's thinking like, look, I gave some money away last time. I'm definitely not doing that this time. And is that going to kind of like tip the scales of whatever algorithm the Cardinals work with to where it all of a sudden the arrow points to do not sign because he's asking (laughs) for this much money?
0: I think it's possible, but I also get the feeling that he's pretty self-aware. And while, yes, he knows that he's been one of the best players in baseball, for the last handful of years, he's also not oblivious to the fact that he's not a 26 year old free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't get the feeling that he's going to, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say that like, Oh, he's such a nice guy. He's going to sign another team friendly contract. Cause that's not where I'm going with this, but I, I think he's aware of the timing of his career and the fact that, He signed a contract really early on that sort of locked him into this timeline. And that is the one thing he cannot change is the fact that he's, you know, past that ultimate peak for a free agent signing and that's going to cost him some years. Now, I think what he'll, he'll likely do, and he has every right to do it, is try to milk the Average annual value for as much as he can possibly get, but to me that still doesn't seem to scare the Cardinals away, right? Because it's not necessarily been the the significance of. I mean, they were willing to spend money on Stanton, they were willing to spend money on Price, they were willing to spend. It comes down to they're more comfortable with a five year contract or a six year contract, not a ten year contract. And Paul Goldschmidt isn't going to be able to command. A ten-year contract at this point in in his career, based on the the one thing he can't control, which is his age.
1: <laughs> right. No, I think you're correct. And let me just say for the record, I will never uh, quite understand, or or I guess just fully grasp the fact that the Cardinals were in on Stanton. It just yeah. seems so weird to me now that it does. they uh, <laughs> seem to be pulling out all the stops for that one. Um, but yeah, they were. There you go.
0: It's interesting now to look at that and and feel like it kind of seems like a pretty desperate play, <laughs> um, because they haven't been willing able to really go back to to match that scenario with anyone else. And he's I he, don't get me wrong, Stan's great, but um, he's he doesn't quite have the um, I don't know he doesn't quite have the the well rounded thing that or, or maybe just the the pure athleticism or the potential highs of a Bryce Harper he's, he's gonna hit a lot no. of home runs but yeah
1: no it was risky no doubt
0: yeah so it's yeah. it's a weird thing to look back on for sure um I think that's all I have to say at this point about Paul Goldschmidt but I feel pretty confident that there will be more hopefully in the positive direction as the season goes on if you read into spring training numbers which we've already discussed we really don't. Um, he's having a pretty good go in uh, in limited appearances so far this spring. So that's good to see. He got off to that really terrible start last year. I, I think I saw it. he had May last year was the worst month of his career. And then June was the second best month of his career. So a bit of a roller coaster for him last year. Hopefully he gets off onto a better start because uh, we all know that Cardinals fans have very high expectations and very limited patience. So good luck to you, Paul Goldschmidt. Um, anything else you want to say on him before we before we move on?
1: No, I think that's uh, what I wanted to say.
0: Well, then I guess that leads us into the chirp of the week. Once again, I've pawned off all the hard work on Alex. So uh, here you go.
1: <laughs> all right. Um, I'm going to take us back to uh, the 70s. And the first 11 months of my life were spent in that decade, so I feel I have some authority uh, here to talk about uh, the 1970s. Uh, the Cardinals were, it wasn't a best time for the Cardinals, you know, we, we often talk about the 90s and how uh, the 90s weren't great, particularly that, you know, stretch from after 87 until uh, 95, but You know, at least we had 1996 when the Cardinals won the division, almost went to the World Series, and then we had the seasons where McGuire's hitting home runs all over the place. Uh, The Cardinals, I mean, yeah, the Cardinals didn't go to the playoffs at all during the 70s. Um, Granted, it was a lot harder to go to the playoffs back then, but from between their World Series trips in 1968 and 1982, they did not go to the postseason. One cool thing about the Cardinals in the 70s, though, um, and I'm going to talk about just one season, and that season was 1970. And what was interesting about that season is it was the lone year they had the great Dick Allen. Uh, Dick Allen was, as you know, I'm sure most of you all know Dick Allen, but he started his career with the Phillies, and he was kind of like the first great black player to play for the Phillies. Um, And it was a pretty tumultuous time, but he was also a brilliant player. But after A few seasons, uh, towards the end, uh, I think at the end of his seventh season of Philadelphia, he pretty much demanded a trade. And he was traded to the Cardinals. And what's interesting is he was traded to the Cardinals in the Kurt Flood-McCarver trade. Mm. Um, And so that trade obviously became very famous for nothing that Dick Allen did, but for the fact that you know Kurt Flood refused to report to Philadelphia. And a lot of us know the history that then went on from there. Well, Dick Allen in 1970 with the Cardinals actually had a really, really good season. He hit 34 home runs and was an all-star with the National League. And the interesting thing about him hitting 34 home runs is that was a ton of home runs for the Cardinals. (laughs) Uh, It was the most home runs hit by a Cardinal between 1954 and 1987. Um, In fact... Before Mark McGuire arrived, so if you want to take the organization from basically when it began all up until 1997, Dick Allen's 34 home runs in 1970 were ninth all-time um, for the franchise for, for most in a season. It is now tied for 25th all-time uh, with, uh, with uh, Scott Rowland, Pujols, and Fernando Tatis. They all each have a, a 34 home run season as well. Um, but unfortunately the Cardinals for whatever reason decided that one season of Dick Allen uh, was enough. And at the end of that season, they traded him to the Dodgers for Ted Sizemore and Bobby Stinson. Uh, Now Bobby Stinson is not to be confused with the same Bobby Stinson who went on to play guitar with the band, the replacements. (laughs) um, If any of you are into the replacements, but that Bobby Stinson the guitarist for the replacements hit just as many home runs for the Cardinals as this Bobby (laughs) Stinson, which is zero. So that tells you how good Bobby Stinson was. And Ted Sizemore uh, was a decent player. He was okay. He was a really good infielder, but he was certainly no Dick Allen. Um, And so the Cardinals probably didn't win that trade at all. It's kind of a bummer they traded him, but it seems like getting Dick Allen out of, Philadelphia did kind of revive his career. Uh he went to LA, then he eventually kind of went made his way over to the White Sox and I think that's where a lot of people kind of remember him as, you know, a Philly or a White Sox cuz he kind of revived his career with the White Sox and had a really great career. There's certainly an argument, a very good argument to be made that he should be in the Hall of Fame. I personally think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think I always give extra credit to a lot of those original trailblazers and he certainly was one. Um But I think he was largely kind of misunderstood as a player back then because he struck out a lot, but he also got on base a lot. And, you know, those were two things that we kind of looked at differently in his time than we look at today. He retired with almost a 380 on base percentage. Um, Obviously, that's very, very good. But yeah, he was also very good in his one season with the Cardinals. It's a shame it was only one season, but there you go. That's Dick Allen, your Trevor of the Week in his 1970 season with the St. Louis Cardinals.
0: There it is. Um... Hopefully Paul Goldschmidt has more than one season and that is the tie in here. Uh, that's my ah, takeaway. <laughs>
1: there, I, you know, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Good uh, it, point.
0: it all, it all works yeah. together in some way. Um, it's interesting to see those one season success stories. And yes, I hope that that is not something that, you know, 20 years from now, someone else is, uh, is saying about Paul Goldschmidt. So there's your trip of the week. That'll do it for this week's show. Please, if you have thoughts or comments or concerns or questions about anything we said regarding Paul Goldschmidt or about Tommy Pham, I know there are some hot takes out there on that subject. We may have to uh, revisit that at some point. Um, And if you have questions, I know we answered some questions last week. Um, We hope to do that again in the future. So feel free to send us your questions. I'm at Tara Wellman on Twitter. He's at AlexCard79, and you can always send them to the Birds on the Black Twitter account, which is just at Birds on the Black, which hopefully you're already following. If not, you should do that. And we will be back with you next week, creeping closer to games that maybe Alex will actually watch and maybe I'll actually care about. That is all coming up. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, have a great week.